Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. As uh, the David Crowder song uh, communicates to us, uh, all of our hopes in Jesus. And, and that's literally what Christmas ought to be about. I, I think a lot of times we just uh, have um, thoughts of Christmas and a baby in a manger and that feels all nice and warm and cushy and everything like that. When the reality of it is that baby that was put in a manger uh, came to go to a cross. And we need to keep in mind the full picture of why we have hope uh, in Jesus and because of Jesus. So that's why we're doing this series uh, uh, about hope. More or less, uh, if you want to just substitute the name of Jesus with the word hope, you can say hope was born into this world. Hope is put in a manger. Hope grew up and lived a sinless life. Hope was falsely accused. Hope was put on trial. Hope was nailed to a cross. That doesn't sound like hope to the world, but to us, that's the greatest hope. Because he was nailed to the cross and he fully, once and for all, paid for our sins as he, uh, as he went to the cross. So that's why Christmas ought to be about hope for us. We think about Jesus being our hope. As I uh, started out this series, uh, kind of just honestly trying to deal, maybe a little bit transparently all from my standpoint... Uh, trying to deal with how Christmas, even though it's about hope and uh, we've got all the decoration and the lights and we're trying to be really jovial and things like that. Uh, sometimes for some people, uh, that's not what all their Christmas is about. Uh, some people wrestle with depression and discouragement for various reasons. Sometimes it's uh, because of unrealized expectations. They got in their mind uh, what was going to be in that uh, package under the tree as a kid and it didn't wind up being that at all. You know, and uh, you get a, a history of that maybe taking place. So that might be the reason some people struggle some. Uh, some people just struggle because maybe they're expected to be happy. And they don't feel happy at, at Christmas. Some people struggle because of the topic that we're going to deal with today in the Christmas season. Some people str- struggle at Christmas because of grief, because of things that's happened in, in their life. Uh, they struggle because they've lost a loved one. Several of you probably lost loved ones this past year. And this may be the very first Christmas season that you have experienced with that loved one or that friend, whoever it might be, uh, not physically present with you. So you wrestle and you struggle with that uh, some. Some of you lost loved ones in the past and it still hurts. You know, maybe years ago and it still hurts. Uh, some of us, uh, referring to myself, we've had some tragedy and some loss during the Christmas season. So it kind of stings for a long time. You've heard me allude to this, most of you, but when I was 11 years old, uh, I was awakened by the pastor of our church on December the 21st to be told that my dad had been murdered that night. He got an argument with a man, turned around to walk off, and the man fired a 25 caliber automatic, um, hit my dad in the back, went around through his liver. He died shortly after that. We buried him on December the 23rd. When you're 11 years old and that happens, that affects your Christmas for a while. Years later, after Becky and I were married, we were expecting our third child. I was pastor in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and uh, she miscarried on the same day that my dad died on the 21st. And we had already gone out because we've collected uh, Hallmark ornaments. My mom got us started collecting Hallmark ornaments. She bought us a, a, a Christmas uh, decoration ball to go on the tree with cardinals on it. <laughs> the first year we were married, uh, and we've bought at least uh, one Hallmark ornament every year, sometimes a couple, most of the time it's just one uh, every year since then. We're going to have to get a bigger tree before long because we're getting old, okay? And But um, we had already bought ornaments that year that said, uh, uh, hey, like little rabbits, uh, you know, made to look like people, and it said uh, dad to be and mom to be. We still hang those every year. 
So anyway, things like that can affect you when you have that kind of tragedy near the Christmas season because when it's close to the Christmas season, you connect the tragedy to that holiday as it comes back around. I sense I'm not the only one that that's true for. I I sense that probably a, a lot of you may struggle also for various reasons like that because you miss loved ones during the holiday season or maybe some other tragedy. And that's why I feel like we need to talk about it. It's not your, uh, not your typical Christmas type message, but I think it's a needful Christmas message that we needed to talk about having hope and grief. It's perfectly human for us to grieve. God's not caught off guard that we grieve. He expects us to grieve, but he doesn't want us to grieve as people that don't have any hope whatsoever because we have a relationship with Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have a relationship with, with Jesus. And because of that relationship with him and other promises that come with that relationship, we don't need to grieve like people that don't have any hope whatsoever. He, he expects us to grieve. I was leading a, a Bible study several years ago, not long after we had uh, started as a church with a small group. And uh, the topic dealt with uh, uh, grieving the losses of life. And it was written by a Christian psychologist, and he even suggested, and I had never thought of this, but he suggested that in with grieving the loss of the person, you need to grieve everything else you lost with the loss of that person. So I sat down, I made a list of everything that I had lost with my dad. You see, I didn't just lose my dad, I lost him ever seeing me play basketball. Believe it or not, I used to be a good basketball player. Not now, my legs are gone, but I used to be a good basketball player. He didn't see me graduate high school. He didn't meet Becky. He didn't see me get married. He didn't see my children born. He didn't see my grandchildren born. So I, I would sit down, I made a list of all those other losses. And what he recommended that you do is that you grieve fully by emptying yourself out, by grieving over every little loss you can think of. And, and that helped me. It was therapeutic for me uh, somewhat. So we, we need to grieve. We just don't need to grieve as though we don't have any hope. Today we're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul is writing to believers in Thessalonica who were concerned about several time, uh, several things. They were concerned about uh, Jesus coming back. You know, how quick would it be? Some of them were even thinking, well, he's coming back right away, so I'm just going to quit work and not do anything. You know, uh, people like that today, I guess, I don't know. Not quitting because Jesus is coming back, but they got their excuses. Some were concerned about, well, what about our loved ones that trust Christ before they die? And when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen with them because they're already buried? And they had questions like that. So Paul writes these words. We do not want you to be uninformed. Some translations say ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And that's just a a, a phrase that Paul used here to talk about them, them being dead. For a Christian, it's just going to sleep because we go in the presence of the Lord. Amen. So I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, when this takes place, the ones that have already died, they're going to be the ones that, that rise to meet the Lord first. For the Lord himself will, des- will descend from heaven with a cry of a command. I think that's the Lord's cry to start with. With the voice of an archangel, I think also the archangel Michael is going to give a cry. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead of Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left... We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As we walk through this passage of scripture this morning, I'm going to do something I don't do much anymore, and that's alliterate. And that's where every word starts with the same letter. I used to do that all the time, not done it in a while, but it really fits this text. I want to give you five words of hope. Five words that ought to be able to encourage us. Five words that we can lean upon when we're going through grief in our life. It doesn't have to be grief at Christmas time, but any time. The first word is this. The first word is revelation. Revelation. By that, I'm not talking about the book of Revelations, although that's part of it. I'm just simply saying this. We have a revelation from God. We, we have the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word should help us as we deal with grief in our life. Look at what he said in verse 13. Then I'm going to skip verse 14. We'll come back to that in a moment and then pick up the first part of verse 15. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For this we declare to you by the word from who? By the word from the Lord. Paul's writing to let these believers know in in Thessalonica that was concerned about the things I mentioned a moment ago, especially concerned about their dead loved ones who knew Christ. What would happen at the time when the Lord comes back? And he's saying, I I don't want you to be ignorant. I, I want you to understand something. You have a reason for the hope. And the reason for hope that you have is that we have God's truth. We have the revelation of God's word. And we can rely and rest upon God's word, especially during times of grief. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. That, that phrase means this. He said, I, I, I don't want you to uh, have a lack of information or a lack of intelligence or even to ignore maybe something you've already been told. Instead, he said, I don't want you to uh, be like that. I want you to be informed so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And the word may not grieve or sorrow not, depending on the translation, means this. God doesn't want us to be distressed without hope whatsoever. He, he does not want us to either reflexively, then that means just something happens and you respond to it out of, out of reflexes or, or even passively. He, he doesn't want us as believers to go around being sad or filled with sadness as though we don't have any promises or hope to lean upon. That's what Paul is telling us. He said, I don't want you to have grief and sorrow as those other people who do not have hope. And when you look at that phrase, here's a good way you could translate it in the original Greek. He said, I don't want you to grieve just as others who do not hold as their possession and anticipation and expectation of confidence that's usually with pleasure. And sometimes that word's translated faith. In our small group last Sunday, uh, I think it was Bill that said this. Bill said, I need to tell you every Sunday what hope means <laughs> and everything. Because you see, in our culture, especially here in the South, people say, well, hope so. And when we say that, it's like, well, maybe so, maybe not. But that's not the biblical word here. The biblical word means we know it's going to be true. We have a confident expectation that it will be true. It's what he's saying. So instead of us as believers acting like we don't have any hope whatsoever, Paul's telling us that we don't need to grieve like that. We don't need to grieve as people that do not have any hope. Now you'll get the full picture of this as we walk through this passage of scripture. But according to the Bible, if those loved ones that have gone on, if they died in faith with Jesus, they knew Christ as their savior. The Bible says that they're with him The Bible says that they will live forever. The Bible says that we'll see them again. The Bible says we'll be with them forever. I read it just a moment ago, but we'll break it down as we go through it. So because of those things, we don't need to be like somebody without any hope because we've got the revelation of God's word telling us that this is true. That believers who die, 
die in the Lord and they go straight to his presence. I'll read some passages of scripture about that in just a moment. And this Bible tells us, and we're even looking at today, that we'll be also called up to meet them. We, we have hope because of the revelation of God's truth. He said in verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul's saying, I'm laying this forth like a systematic discourse. I'm, I'm explaining to you in a way I want you to understand that we have a word from the Lord. And the tenses that's used there in that phrase means that we have a word from the Lord in a fixed position in relation of rest. We have a word from the divine God himself. We have a divine communication from God that will always last and will never go away. We have God's truth in a fixed position. Now, so instead of us grieving as those without hope, one reason we shouldn't do that is we have the revelation of God's word. I can hear thoughts going off probably and excuses. What about if I don't know that my loved one was a Christian? What if I don't know that my loved one was saved, that they knew Christ as their, as their Savior? I understand those questions. That brings up another serious matter I'll probably try and allude to a little bit later in the message. But that means if you've got loved ones that you don't know about, you need to be doing all you can to lead them to Jesus so you do know about it. Amen? That we are not confronted with the possibility of, I don't know. I don't know about my dad for sure. Wasn't old enough at the time. I didn't know Christ at the time. But if you've got loved ones that don't know Christ as a Savior, you need to do everything you can to get them to Jesus. You're going to have a golden opportunity. Most of us will because during Christmas time, we see our loved ones and our friends. And if you know some of them don't know Jesus, you've got a golden opportunity this coming week or the next couple of weeks to try and share your faith with them. Amen? Because they're going to be there. But let me address that question. What if I don't know? Well, look at that. I don't know in a different way. The fact that you don't know, here's what I recommend to people all the time when they're afraid a loved one died. I'll tell them you don't know. Why torture yourself by wrestling with whether you know or not? Maybe they did and you just didn't know it. Maybe they trusted Christ at some point in time before they died, but don't sit around and torture yourself unnecessarily saying, I don't know whether they knew or not. Look at it in that in a little bit of a positive spin and say, maybe they did. If they didn't, don't let that affect the way you view the future for yourself. The Bible says, and I can't tell you exactly how this happens, but it says he's going to wipe all the tears from our eyes one day. Amen. See, that we'll view things so much like Jesus that we won't have grief over a lost loved one that was lost, or he's going to eradicate the very memory of it when he wipes the tears from our eyes. I don't know how that works out, but I'm just saying he's going to wipe away all the tears. I will tell you this. The second thing I want to tell you about that question is this. Whether they knew Jesus as their Savior or not, some loved one that's gone on, don't let that affect your hope in God. Don't let that affect your hope in Jesus. Don't let that affect your outlook of your faith and the way you view life itself and the hope that you have when death comes knocking upon your door. Don't let it affect you in a negative way. So the first word is simply revelation. We've got the truth of God's word and the truth of God's word ought to help us in times of grief. Second word is return, return. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming back again. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is going to come back. Now, I don't want you to confuse this because sometimes people will, will get confused about this. This isn't what Paul is referring to here. This is not the second coming of Jesus where he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives and he's coming back to take over. That's not what's taking place here. What's taking place in this is him appearing in the air. 
Not setting his feet upon the ground. There, there, there's two different things and people will get those confused. Now, that's just my doctrinal viewpoint. If you disagree, you've got a right to be wrong. But uh, I, I, I believe in the rapture of the church. We'll talk more about that in a moment. I believe in the, the rapture will take place before the great tribulation. That, that's what I believe the Bible teaches. But here it talks about the return of Christ, him coming again. You see, as Christians, we have the hope of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he's coming again. As Christians, we believe or we have faith in the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross. Not just a sacrificial death, but it was a substitutionary death where he died in my place and in your place for your sins upon the cross. We believe that he is going to come again. We believe he took his life back up three days after he died on the cross. And the importance of that is this. Jesus said that he was going to die, be put in the grave. They're going to destroy the temple, be put in the grave for three days. And then in three days, he'd rebuild that temple. That's what he did by the resurrection. You see, here's why that's important. Had Jesus not taken his life back up, we'd have a lot of reason to doubt what Jesus said about other things. Amen? Because he claimed that he was going to take his life back up. And he did that on that third day. If we could go to some tomb and know that his body was inside, I would have a reason to doubt whether or not everything else he said is true. But if I go to his tomb, it's empty because he took his life back up. And that also proves this, that he did once and for all everything that needed to be done, that he fully fulfilled the righteous demands of God and paid fully for our sins. And that's proven by his resurrection. And we've got that, that faith to, to trust in what, what he did for us. And the Bible teaches that now he's, he's raised from the dead. And the Bible teaches that, that those, when they die in Jesus, they go to be with him. They're there with him in his presence. A Christian doesn't die and just go into a, a soul sleep that some people teach or a senseless existence. And still, here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 6 and 8. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, in other words, while we're alive here, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not sight. Yes, we're of good courage. And he said this, we would rather be away from the body and where? At home with the Lord. That's what happens to a believer the instant they die. Their soul goes to be with the Lord. They're not laying in a grave somewhere anymore. They go straight to be with the Lord. And that's why Paul is saying, when Jesus comes back, he's bringing them with him. Now, the way it works out, we'll see when we talk about the resurrection in a minute, he's bringing the souls and the spirits. Here come the bodies and they're reunited. But we ought to have hope as believers instead of acting like we don't have hope because we're promised that Jesus is coming again. The pagan world that Paul lived in, uh, they did not have a lot of hope in the afterlife. Here's an inscription from a tomb in Paul's day. I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Isn't that tragic? The tragedy of it is even more so that that's the philosophy of a lot of the world today. I didn't exist. I became by way of evolution or whatever. I am not. I died and I, and I don't care. You will care because of what we'll see in, in a few moments. The Bible clearly teaches there's an eternal existence either in the presence of God or separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. This is what Jesus said. And, and I'm just banking on Jesus knowing what he's talking about. You and these will go away into eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. How long is eternal punishment? Forever. But the righteous into eternal life. 
So he clearly communicates, Jesus, the tender lamb of God, communicates that there is an existence that's separated from God in a place of eternal punishment for those who die unrighteous and they've not trusted in Christ as their savior. Those who die with faith in Christ are with the Lord and they're coming back with the Lord. He said, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The emphasis on the return of the Lord in the Thessalonian letter focuses upon these things. It focuses upon uh, salvation. It focuses upon serving God. Don't just sit back and say, well, Jesus is coming back. So I'm just going to sit back and wait. It focuses on stability, the stability that we ought to have in our faith and in our lives because he is coming back. But it also focuses upon sorrow. And that's the section that we're looking at at today. When will this event return? When, when, will he, when, when will this event take place? When will Jesus come back? Well, the truth of the matter is nobody knows except the Father. You know why I said that? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said nobody knows the day or the hour. That leads me to say this. Since we don't know when it can take place, you better know sure that you're ready. You better know clearly without any doubt that you know Christ is your Savior. There's some prophetical things that have to take place before he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. There's not one thing in prophecy that has to take place before he appears in the air. And all the believers who have died are called out of their graves. And all the believers that are alive are called out to meet him. There's not one thing theologically that has to happen before, doctrinally, before that happens, prophetically, before that happens. That's why we need to be sure that we're ready. As I said earlier, don't confuse the two. Don't confuse with him putting his foot down on the Mount of Olives. That will happen at a different time. We're talking about the rapture. These great events, the Bible tells us, will take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 through 53. It's, it's considered the great chapter about the resurrection. He, he said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Notice this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. That's how fast it can happen. Twinkle of an eye is pretty quick. Twinkle of an eye is not even a blink. That's how quick your eye responds to light, the pupil of your eye. That's how quickly it can happen, and he can come back. So the truth of the matter we need to hold to as believers is this. As Christians, whether we're alive or whether we're dead already, guess what? Jesus is coming back for us. So we don't have to act like we have no hope. We don't have to live like we have no hope whatsoever. That return, the promise of his return ought to comfort our hearts. Even when we think about the loss of loved ones who have gone on, it ought to comfort our hearts. Number three, resurrection. Third word's resurrection. The Christians who have died will rise, is what God says to the Apostle Paul in these scriptures. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. We read that earlier. This is God telling us this, God saying this, that we who are alive and who are left until they come to the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're not going to go up first, they are. For the Lord himself, as I read a moment ago, would ascend from heaven with a cry of the command and the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. You see why you don't need to act like you're without hope if you've got Christian loved ones who have died and gone on. Number one, they're with the Lord right now. We've already talked about that. They're in his presence. But number two, there's coming a time when Jesus comes back to call us up to be with him in the air. We'll talk about the rapture in a minute, but there's coming a time when Jesus comes back that those graves where those loved ones have been buried based upon a word from God, not based upon just Paul's intuition or anything like that, based upon a word from the Lord. Paul always referred to his writings as being inspired, but here he says specifically, this is something that the Lord told me. This is a word from the Lord. He said the dead will be raised first. 
They're already in the presence of God, but they'll be raised. First, they'll be reunited with their bodies in the resurrection power of Christ. When Jesus appears with a shout in the cry of the archangel and the trump of God, those dead will be raised first. This is called the resurrection of life or the first resurrection. There is a second resurrection, just like I talked about the second coming earlier, on the other side of the great tribulation, on the other side of the millennial reign. There's going to be another resurrection. That resurrection is going to be of the lost also out of the graves. There'll be a great white throne judgment and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire forever, Gehenna. But because of the resurrection of our loved ones, we can have hope. I've tried to communicate this every now and then when I'm I'm doing a a funeral. That when we go to the graveside and that body's been lowered, if we know that's a, a believer, we've got good evidence that that person had faith in Christ. We ought to view it like this. We ought to view it as though we're planting a seed for the resurrection. We'll plant seeds in our gardens with hope that at the appropriate time it'll bust through the ground and it will start spreading up toward the sun, the S-U-N. Well, when we bury believers, guess what? We're planting for a particular time that Jesus is going to come in the air and the graves are going to burst forth and they're going to come up to the sun, the S-O-N, and meet him in the air. And that's the hope we ought to hold on to as believers instead of acting like we don't have any hope whatsoever. We can have hope and grief if our loved ones have died in Christ, their bodies will be raised and glorified. The Christian doctrine of the resurrection assures us that death is at the end. The grave is at the end. The grave doesn't have the victory. The Bible tells us we can have hope in grief that they will raise from the dead. And if we happen to be alive at the time this happens, We need to talk about the word rapture, the fourth word for a minute. Then we who are alive, anyone that's still alive at the time Jesus comes back in the air, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. A lot of people will look at this passage of scripture and they'll say, well, it doesn't say rapture. And the Bible doesn't say rapture. Well, no, the English word rapture may not be there, but can I tell you what the Greek word called up means? It means the same thing as rapture. Rapture is based upon a Latin word when the Bible was, was translated into Latin. But I want you to look at what the words called up mean because it's, it, it's full of meaning. Number one, they mean this, to catch away speedily where there'll be no warning going to happen in a moment twinkle of an eye to catch away speedily number two the phrase to be called up means this to seize by force i won't have anything to do with it he's coming after me (laughs) and i can't say no i want to stay here a little bit longer i'm sorry when he comes i'm going he's going to seize me by force Kind of like sometimes when we've grabbed our children by force or our grandchildren by force because we're trying to get them get them somewhere hey he's going to come and seize me by force Third way the phrase is used is to claim for oneself as though a bridegroom is claiming his bride. And and I think this gives us a picture of what the the Hebrew, the Jewish wedding was like. See, in, in our culture, the brides are the ones that gets all dolled up and pretty and everything like that. And everyone oohs and ahs whenever the wedding takes place. And they're waiting for that moment. The door opens up and the bride walks down. And that, you know, that's like the big moment when, when she walks down. All the focus is upon her. But that's not the way it was in the, in the Jewish wedding. And the Jewish wedding, it was all focused upon the bridegroom. You want to know why? Because that bridegroom was the type of Jesus who's the bridegroom to come. The bride would be waiting. She wouldn't even know exactly what watch in the night or when the bridegroom may come after her. And she's there waiting. All of a sudden, there's this announcement that the bridegroom's on his way and they had to be ready. Jesus even used that as an example, as a, as a parable, as a story. And they need to be ready whenever he would come. And he would come and he's the one that's all in his glory in the way that the bridegroom is dressed in the Hebrew wedding. And here's why. Because Jesus is the one the glory is about, amen, not us as his bride. He's the one that the glory is about. 
And then he'll come and he'll take his bride and they'll go in in private and, and, and consummate the wedding for purposes of being in the public worship service. I'll not explain all exactly why and how they did it. And then some days later, they come out. I think it's seven days later. They come out, and the bride and the bridegroom are seen again together. Jesus, one day, when we don't know when it's going to happen, but he's coming after his bride. The bridegroom is coming after his bride. We're going to be gone with him for seven years. While the great tribulation is going to be three and a half years of great peace to where the world is going to think, see, we told you those Christians were all the troublemakers. Look how great the world is now without them. And then it's going to be three and a half years of terror like the world's never known. Look at our news today and imagine how bad that will be. It was going to be three and a half years of terror like the world's never known. And then at the end of that, the bride and the bridegroom is going to appear again. Come back on white horses and take over. <laughs> but he's coming after the church to rapture us just like the, the bridegroom claims the bride. The, the phrase caught up also means this, to move to a new place. Thank God there's a better place to be than here. Amen? Amen. And number five, it means to rescue from danger. And that's one of the reasons why I believe the church is not going through the great tribulation because he's going to rescue us from danger. He's going to catch us up and take us with him. Because of the hope that we have as believers, if you know Christ as your Savior, in this thing called the rapture, that we will be caught up and we'll meet our loved ones who've gone on. We'll be with them in the sky. We don't have to be like people without hope. I read a story one time about a, a Christian summer camp, and they decided to pull off an elaborate hoax. And the uh, camp director uh, went to town for two or three hours to do something. While he was gone, they laid clothes just out on the ground and, you know, in, inside the cabins and, and everything like that. Everybody went to hide. He comes back. He can't find anybody. There's clothes laying there just like people had come out of their clothing. There's a boat out in the middle of the lake that they had tied the, the steering wheel where it would go around in circles and the motor's running. He was just going around circling. No one in it out there whatsoever. And then they topped it off, finished the effect by having someone call the camp and saying, what's going on? They're back in town we can't find anybody what's going on out there can you find anybody and you said worried him a little bit to start with <laughs> imagine the shock when that's real when that takes place and people are are left behind and there's something that can happen at any time in any moment Sarah had come to the lives of the believers in Thessalonica because they were wondering, what about their dead loved ones who knew Christ? What's going to happen whenever Jesus comes back? But see, for those of us that have faith in Christ, what I said a moment ago, I hope it didn't scare you too much if you know Jesus. Jesus coming back should thrill us instead of scare us. And if for some reason the thought of Jesus coming back, that ought to be a blessed hope for us instead of a frightful possibility. If you were scared a minute ago as I talked about Jesus coming back, maybe you need to check up on your faith a little bit in your relationship with Jesus. As believers, we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. Instead, we can have great hope because we have the revelation of God's truth. We know that Jesus is coming back, the return of Christ, the resurrection of believers who've already died, the rapture of believers who are currently alive whenever Jesus comes back again. And I can't explain this. Don't go start a denomination about it and say the preacher's gone crazy. I'm not naming a date at all. But for some reason, I've always felt like... I'm going to be alive when that happens. My wife has always felt like she's going to be alive when that happens. Don't know I will. I might die tomorrow. And you say, see there, you didn't know what you're talking about. But that's just a feeling of God. But the fifth word I want us to talk about as we close today is this. 
reunion. Reunion. Christians forever with the Lord. Verse 17b, the second part of it, said together with them in the clouds. They're going to be going up first, those that are dead in Christ. And then together, we're going to be changed in a moment, twinkling of eye. Then together with them in the clouds, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Most of you have probably been to a family reunion before, haven't you? Families used to have them all the time. I don't know what happened unless families decide they don't like each other anymore or something. But I mean, used to have them kind of systematically every few minutes, every few years, a family get together and, you know, you plan it and uh, plan a place to meet and have a big picnic or whatever like that big fellowship meal. And, uh, you'd stand there with the ones that maybe you didn't like and you'd shake your head and grin at them or whatever the whole time. And, but for the most part, it was probably fun and you enjoyed seeing people and, and all, but when you have a family reunion here on this earth, there comes a time that that the family reunion is over with and you go your separate ways and you go back to your homes. But the reunion we're talking about is not going to be like that. It's going to be a reunion where those who have died in Christ are called up out of their graves into the sky to meet the Lord, reunited there with, with, with the Lord and with the Spirit. We're going to be changed if we happen to be alive or believers that are alive. We'll be changed and we'll be called up in the air to meet them. And it says we will forever be with the Lord. Those loved ones that have gone on, there'll never ever be another time you'll separate from them. There'll never ever be another time you'll stand by a bedside and watch the loved one die. There'll never ever be a time that you have to go around filled with grief and worry about what may happen to this loved one that you found out has cancer or or that looks like they're going to die or they've died in a tragedy or whatever. No, if they knew Christ as their Savior, they're going to be called up to meet the Lord and we'll be changed and we'll be called up to meet the Lord. And the Bible says that we're going to always be with the Lord. There'll never ever be a time of separation again. It'll be one long, glorious family reunion that we'll get to experience one day in the future. The Christian loved ones who we knew died. Maybe we stood there by the bed and saw him die. You'll get to see him again. My dad's gone before me. My mom's gone before me. Now, I've got the baby I talked about earlier that's gone on that I've never seen. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Just a few weeks into the pregnancy. But I'll get to see that baby. We've got people in our church that lost loved ones in the past year. We've got people in our church that lost loved ones this week. We've got people in our church that are in the process of losing loved ones. But we don't have to be like we don't have hope. Because we have the revelation of God's word. We've got the truth that God, that Jesus is, is coming back, that, that, that the resurrection of the dead, those believers in Christ will, will take place that the rapture of the church is going to take place and we'll get to see those believers again. Hey, but the most important feature is this. I hope my dad knew Jesus. I don't know for sure. I hope he did. I think my mom did. And I've had other loved ones that's gone on. I've had church members over 35 years of ministry that I love dearly. Other friends that I loved and I hated to see them go. And I'm going to get to see them. But the most important feature is Jesus. Amen. We're going to be called up together in the air and meet Jesus face to face with our loved ones and we'll be with them forever. The Greek word translated meet is kind of interesting. It means to meet royalty or an important person. How about that? <laughs> because when this takes place, 
I'm going to meet, and if you know Christ as your Savior, you're going to meet royalty. You're going to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're going to meet the most important person in history, the one that went to the cross and died on the cross for your sins. And you'll get to meet them, meet him, and see him face to face. And the Bible says this. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he's pure. A little bit of a side note there. If that's the hope we have, we need to live like we have that hope. We need to act like day to day. We need to live pure and act like day to day we have that hope. One day when Jesus appears, we'll be like him. If I die and go on before all this takes place, I'm going to tell you something. Next time you see me, I'll look the best I've ever looked. Jesus, based upon the scriptures, look like me, he's got a full head of hair. The loved ones that you've had to go on, the next time you see them, they're not going to be that frail body that was laying in the bed with cancer. The next time you see them, they're going to look the best they've ever looked. The best you've ever seen them. Because they're going to be like Jesus. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 prayed this. He said that we would have the glory that he had and that the Father has. And that's going to happen one day when he comes back after his church, after believers. Paul then said this, and here's the main point. I want you to get this one. I know I've said a lot. But Paul then said this in verse 18. I saved it to the conclusion of the message on purpose. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What words? Everything we just talked about. That we can have hope because of the revelation of, of God's word. We have the truth of God's word. We can have hope because of the return of Jesus. We can have hope because of the resurrection. We can have hope because of the rapture of the church. We can have hope because of the reunion that's going to take one take place one day with all believers in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. We can have hope and therefore we need to encourage one another with these words. The song that prompted this series in my mind was the song that we've been doing, All My Hope. All My Hope is in Jesus. Can you say that this morning? Can you say all your hope is in Jesus? Do you know without any doubt you're ready for what could happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye? Robert Murray McShane was a, um, most of you probably never heard of him unless you've been a Bible college student and you, you've studied writings by him and things, but he was a, he was a godly Presbyterian minister. And, and Robert Murray McShane used to ask people all the time, do you think Jesus is coming back today? And he just popped that question. Do you think Jesus is coming back today? Most time people say, oh, no, not today. <laughs> and he'd quirk back to him real quick, then you better be ready because he's coming at a time you think not. Warren Wiersbe was in England once, and he read an inscription on a tombstone that said this. Pause, my friend, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. We might not like to think about it. But death is going to come knock on all of our doors unless we are alive when the rapture takes place. Someone else was standing there and they read that inscription on the tombstone 
And they added a verse to what was said. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) Which brings it back to a serious point. Do you know where you're going? Do you know that you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you know that all your hope is in Jesus? Do you have the assurances of hope we've talked about today? Let's pray. Father, God, I admit sometimes I still struggle with Christmas. And I know there are others here that do. Father, we thank you for the loved ones that have gone on. Father, we pray that they all knew Christ as their Savior. We pray that we'll see them again, but most importantly, see you when you come after your bride, when you come after the church. Father, we thank you for the promise that you're going to wipe all the tears from our eyes one day. Father, we just pray that you would help us use these five words of hope, these five thoughts, whenever we're facing grief in our lives, whether it be at Christmas or whenever, help us to, as believers, remember these five words, that we've got a revelation from you, that you're coming back, you're going to return, that there's a resurrection of the dead, that first resurrection when when those who had faith in you were raised. Father, warn us that there's a resurrection of judgment that will take place also on the other side of the great tribulation and the millennial reign. There's a great judgment that's going to take place. Father, encourage us with the thought that you love us so much, whether we're alive or whether we're dead. You're coming back for us because Jesus shed his blood for us. Help us to have hope in times of grief because of a reunion that's going to take place with all believers around your throne. Father, if there's someone without that hope today, help them to receive the greatest gift they could possibly ever have at Christmas by trusting in Jesus fully as their only hope. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.